0: Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark.
1: Welcome, Brendan here with Mark as well always episode 160 Friday october the 23rd 2020 mark a special day public holiday here in Victoria australia as you know you know what the holiday is don't you
0: I do indeed it's got a, it's got a bit of a strange name though brendan
1: it well yeah what do they call it now well we, we know it as the holiday for a football holiday Event. I, it's a
0: grand final. I checked the um, uh, Victorian Government website. It's called the Friday before AFL grand final day.
1: Now, how, could you get any more descriptive there, Mark? The Australian Football League grand final, which has been delayed this year because of a shortened season, which started longer than usual because of coronavirus. And it is, for the first time, not being held at the home of football, the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Club, Ground. So it's been held up in... Up in Brisbane, Mark in Queensland. And, yes, so here in Victoria we have a holiday, a Friday day off, an official public holiday. Why to prepare ourselves for the Saturday? (laughs) And that's what we are having, a bit of a holiday um, before the football grand final and – Yes, I will be watching the football grand final. And no, my team did not make it to the grand final. I don't know if one of our
0: listeners can verify this, but I have had it alleged that this is the only public holiday, the only government-sanctioned holiday in the world that's associated with a sporting event.
1: Well... Well, we also have Melbourne Cup, done, okay. which is a public holiday as well. We have two, Mark. You forgot about that. It's <laughs> so uh, a bit crazy on our public holidays for sporting events. So the Melbourne Cup, which is a horse race, um, the holiday will, I think it's in a, in a week or so. <laughs> they usually spread out because um, of coronavirus. It's all been um, cramped together. So, yes, so that's what's happening. And, uh, well, yeah, that's it, holiday. Yeah. Um, And I think most people, to be honest, um, there are crazy football fans and I enjoy my football, Australian rules of football, but there's a a large percentage of people who couldn't care less but they enjoy a day off. So that's what we're up to. What have you been up to? Are you working today, Friday?
0: Yes, uh, we do have to work. We um, don't have any holidays associated with uh, sporting grand finals or horse. But well, uh, no, we don't even. Um, we the usual thing with the Melbourne Cup is that many workplaces will just have a you know an hour down, warm up, watch the race. We a cup sweep. Yeah, I don't. We, we've sort of gone off that a little bit over the last few years. It's been um, there, there's Some have we. there's a little bit of. Um, I'm always interested in the. The dynamics, but horse racing—I don't know. It's yes.
1: We've spoken about this. Gee, we're on the same level again, aren't we? With this, yes. We don't. We don't um, particularly support it much, do we? Um, yes. Having said that, I enjoyed the holiday. <laughs> so there we go. Now, um, shout out to uh, our sponsor, Mark. One of our sponsors. It, it is Specialised Animal Nutrition, Jen and the team. Hello wonderful oxbow products and I don't know whether you we've been selling lots and lots of the little oxbow treats for rabbits and guinea pigs mark do you sell many of them
0: We do sell quite a few um, and um, and I know that many of our clients are looking for ways to supply environmental enrichment for their small herbivores in such a way that they're not compromising their health. And so they do look for those oxbow treats to hide away in different locations in the enclosure or, um, uh, yeah, just to encourage them to have different textures but still maintain the exceptional quality of nutrition and the appropriate fibre levels. I, 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 um, we, do, we do manage to sell quite a few of the um, treats.
1: They are good. And thank you, Jen and Oxbow Australia, for helping keep our podcast going. VetGurus.com, the place to go. And send emails to VetGurus at gmail.com. And we do have an email this week that we want to we'll read out some of it, Mark. And it's from one of the winners from our little competition which was episode was it our episode 100th one that riley hello riley um one one of the um, prints that um eventually got to riley um, there was a little bit of a hiccup there so riley's in the us of a and um, lovely email from riley um I don't know if I ever said thank you after the photograph arrived. It's wonderful. And although I don't exactly have a pool room, Mark, <laughs> of favourite things, it's one of my favourite things in the living room. Thank you very much. And the next bit, Mark, if you have it in front of you, is for you. So perhaps you should read out this because I think it's something you need to do. Do you want to read the next little bit? For sure.
0: Um, uh, Riley has a question um, as well as saying thank you. Um, I'm on the executive team for our College's Avian Club and we're looking for a speaker for a presentation on bird nutrition and possibly husbandry, specifically pet birds. Since there are several episodes concerning avian veterinary medicine, including husbandry, husbandry and nutrition on your podcast, I thought I would ask if either of or both of you would be willing, able to speak at our club. Um, and Brendan, I reckon that uh, we would love to um, organise uh, a time to um, have a bit of a chat to our uh, North American um, future veterinarians and, um, and, yeah, just have a talk about uh, maybe some of the things that um, we do with avian species here in Australia that they might not get to see there in America. I think um, uh, Riley was talking about maybe December or January, um and I reckon that would be a perfect plan.
1: I think it would be a goer, Mark. We should do it. So we'll we'll get back in touch with you, Riley, shortly and we'll try and arrange it. Um the interesting thing will be the time zone <laughs> differences, I suppose. So we will see. We will see. Um we might be up in the middle of the night or or vice versa. Um, but we'll try. To be as accommodating as we can, so it should be fun, Mark. I was hoping that Riley would say there, there's some tickets in the in the post <laughs> and uh, some business class tickets. Uh, although at the moment there ain't too many flights, are yeah. oh, there, Mark? I'm heading around the world at the
0: moment, Brendan. What about uh, Riley's uh, postscript?
1: Yes, well, do you want to explain the the whole? Um, I've got no idea what she's reference. talking about. Yeah. p.s riley says i had googled the movie reference a while ago and found it was from the castle Um, (laughs) so this is our comment about uh, that goes straight to the pool room and it's it's a line from this fairly famous or very famous australian comedy um and riley found it on YouTube in full. So, managed to find a pirated copy there on YouTube. Um, and definitely the best kind of corny, according to Riley, and gave it a rating 10 out of 10 marks. 10 out of 10. So, there you go. Thank you, Riley, for that um, email. And yes, we were uh, keen to help you out and give a bit of a chat um, to your fellow birdos. So, that would be good. So, keep the emails piling in. Um, vetgurus at gmail.com. Mark, I'm going to do a quick review. It's a really quick one um, before we get into our main story, which is just a few news stories this week again, trying to catch up on a few news stories. And that is the Welch Allen operating otoscope head. um, And it's called the pneumatic otoscope. And I'll put a post to it or a link to it in our our show notes at vetguru.com. And i tell you what, you can teach old dogs new tricks, Mark, and I've had this sort of sit-in in the clinic. It's a little attachment that goes on the otoscope, little um, lithium-ion head, um, and as described, it's used for mainly looking down ears, Um and I never really used it, and it's called a pneumatic odoscope because it seals and it has a little port and you can flush um, with a little bit of pressure, and it's mainly used for... I've never used it that way. Um, I think it's used for, for human um, flushing ears as well. Um, but the reason why I love this is the the lens is big markets It's got a really big lens, a magnifying lens there. And it's been a bit of a revelation using this over the last year or so. And it's my go-to for looking inside the mouths of all these small mammals in a consultation, the rabbits and the guinea pigs especially, because it Provides a fantastic field of view, much better than the traditional little lens on the operating otoscopes that um, I'd been using previously and that, that a lot of vets use. It's it's great. Um, so I'm seeing the spurs in all their glory, Mark. Um, so I highly recommend picking up the pneumatic otoscope head and using it. So that's my review, Mark.
0: I'm really keen to, um, to give it a go, Brendan, because I do find... Um, quite regularly, the, the, you know, the regular operating otoscope, which has this much smaller magnifying lens you know, close to your eye, um, when we use that and then we subsequently open the mouth of the anaesthetised rabbit or guinea pig, um, there are often surprises because we haven't been able to get that wide field of view. I've been reticent to stick the otoscope, uh, the um, lapra, of the endoscope in there because, you know, grinding cheek teeth um, on expensive fibre optics might not be the most cost-effective way to get a great view. But um, that that, that sounds like you've nailed it with the pneumatic otoscope.
1: Yes, it's... um and it's not particularly expensive. It might be $100 or so, um, the little add-on to it. You've got, um, no so idea. Yes.
0: You've got no idea how much it costs, do you? I've, no, I don't. <laughs> I do <don't. laughs>
1: um, you, could, you could pick it, couldn't you? Though? Yes, yes. So there you go, the pneumatic otoscope, the Welch Allen pneumatic Otoscope. It provides bright white light output and a rotating lens with ultra seal for pneumatic otoscopy. What was your score? My score? Well, it has to be. Well, it's it. This one is. There's no doubt. It's an eight point six out of ten. Solid as solid as. Excellent. So there we go. So first news story, Mark. Jump in. Um, and speaking of spiders, which um, we've got a little bit of a theme this week. Your first one is about. Spiders, And I
0: love my giant spiders, my, um, my gallimorphs, the tarantulas of various locations. So this story did pique my interest um, when I discovered that the University of Queensland-led researchers had identified some molecules of, uh, um, from the venom of one of the world's largest spiders. Um, and I think many researchers are doing this sort of stuff now. They screen... The venom from the spiders, um, and they these researchers had twenty eight species to choose from, but ultimately the venom of the Venezuelan pink foot goliath tarantula, which incidentally has a leg span um, of just up to thirty centimeters, um, that one showed the most promise. and um, And their intent is to use the molecule as a um, as an anti inflammatory or pain um, blocking molecule particularly for people with irritable bowel syndrome Brendan and so um, the the I think there's a lot of work going on in this way where where researchers are um, using particularly venoms from um, arachnids uh, um, or um, maybe scorpions and and uh, and other venomous species because Obviously, those venoms are uh, specifically, the proteins in them are specifically designed to interact with the nervous system of um, envenomed animals. And so, understanding how they do that, how they affect channels, calcium ion channels, um, allows researchers to. Uh, um, look at those voltage-gated ion channels and receptors and start to play around with the shape of the molecules in the computers um, and then maybe design new drugs. So it's an exciting area of research and a bloody good excuse to um, to preserve these, you know, to conserve these um, spiders. Some of these species, the Australian mygalomorphs, they might only live... Well, there's already been species that are... Reported to be extinct in the wild because they only lived in an area of North Queensland that might be a couple of hectares, and um, and some of those spiders lived in areas that are now shopping malls. Brendan,
1: yes, it's a there's a. There is a a little video, isn't there, of this um, giant spider there as well, and we'll link to that on there. And I must admit, Mark, I like pain. Do you like pain? And I'm talking about the journal Pain, where this is um, reported in, um, because it's a very um, well-respected journal, um, and we'll link to that particular particular paper. Now you're talking about thirty centimetres um leg span in this giant spider mark. Well my story I'm gonna to jump to my spider story now, even though I am supposed to. Disorient. I'm, I'm gonna talk You diso- yes, you're a bit bit put out there, aren't you? I'm talking about a New Species of Spider Found in the Backyard. I thought for a moment it may have been you, Mark, because it's up near, to, well, sort of towards you. It's in New South Wales. <laughs> uh, and this is about a keen citizen scientist, Amanda De DeGeor- DeGeorge, who posted a photo with a What Is This call-out on the Australian Spider Identification page on Facebook. And funnily enough, the followers included lots of keen amateur arachnophiles and also scientists. And she was stunned when Joseph Schubert, who's a museum's Victoria taxonomist and jump in spider expert, replied that it was a previously unknown species. And she asked Mrs. DeGeorge to catch a specimen, and send it to him in Melbourne down from New South Wales. Um, and it took her three and a half months to find another one, Mark. Um, she spent that three and a half months on her hands and knees, she said, um, turning over all the garden furniture and leaves before she saw one on her back deck and and quickly grabbed a container and flicked it into the container. And she, two days later, she caught a second one on her car dashboard that she stuffed into plastic containers and posted them with Australia Post. And according to Australia Post, Mark, you're allowed to send alive insects as long as they're not dangerous or prohibited goods. So she posted them down to him. And yes, lo and behold, it is a new um, species of the genus Jotus. Um, and it will be given a full Latin name after Mr. Schubert, um, although it could be named after Mrs. DeGeorge, who, who found it. Perhaps I should combine the two there, Mark. So a bit of a, a, a feel-good, good news stories. And um, there's about, according to the article, about 4,000 spider species have scientific names in Australia, but it's estimated that there's about 10,000 out there, Mark. So get in your backyard with your camera, Mark, and um, get looking for a new um, species, or two, or three, or thousand. Um, and Mister Schubert, he's on a bit of a roll, isn't he? He's named seventeen species in eighteen months.
0: It's um, so it, there you go. It's, I, I am embarrassed in my dorky way to admit that um, I actually have been um, on my hands and knees in the bush looking for the peacock spiders, Brendan. I, uh, um, I am um, have the the jumping spiders that have the the particularly bright coloured um, uh, abdomens with little flanges that they flare out like a, a, uh, like a peacock. And, um, and I have managed in our local bush to find some of these and I can speak to the process of um, getting your eyes accustomed to the way they move, that um, like many things in the bush, once you start to spot them, um, there seems to be a whole lot of them where previously you would have not seen them. So I'm not surprised yes. that um, Mrs. And she, a- in, interestingly
1: enough, she was a former she's a former zookeeper. Her owns her own Facebook page, backyard zoology, where she posts her photos of local wildlife. Mark, and she used to be afraid of spiders. And three years ago, a new camera enabled her to take photos of insects and uh, I like the last paragraph, asked how it felt to find a new species. She said, this is it. This is like the pinnacle for me. It's all downhill for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cool to think that I've been able to contribute something to science. Uh, Well done. So there you go. There's my good news story. Mark, what have you got next? Um,
0: My next one is, um, well, it's got, you know, uh, Um, threads to do with the uh, coronavirus pandemic. It's got um, uh, an absence of tourism. It could, on the surface of it, be um, viewed as a little bit of a downer, given the um, uplifting stories you've been telling. Um, It's the story of how, in the face of the um, collapse in tourism around the world, um, Australians have responded to an absence of travel by um, rescuing animals that in the, the, the absence of tourism have been struggling. So there's a whole bunch of stories where um, uh, particularly uh, Animals Australia, an organisation who sort of does a whole lot of this work um, and led by Melbourne-based activist Lynn White, um, they have been looking around the world for um, circumstances. They've been partnering with animal welfare groups, uh, particularly focusing on developing countries, um, and they've been um, uh, sending um, grants to partner organisations around the world in excess of half a million dollars um, that have resulted in care for animals that uh, that would have otherwise um, been in deep trouble in the absence of t- the tourist dollar. So an example Brendan was um, in Egypt, uh, horses that were used to transport tourists to the pyramids, they literally have uh, have struggled to get food because the absence of tourists means that there's no money to buy their food. Um, and so Egypt Equine Aid, um, an organisation that uh, does draw attention to uh, the abuse of horses and donkeys and provides care and food and shelter for the animals, Um, said her uh, efforts had been thrown a lifeline with the grant from the Australian organisation. And not just in Egypt. Um, In India, um, where major cities have huge populations of stray dogs, um, Animals Australia has given grants to organisations not just for feeding the abandoned animals but, of course, subsidising neutering and spaying programs which uh, obviously prevent the populations from getting out of control. Um, so in this time when, I don't know, we've become a little bit more parochial and inward-looking, it's it's really a great thing to um, see these examples of, um, of largesse from a country like ours that does have uh, numerous blessings um, and benefiting the animals in, um, you know, less... less uh, um, you know, where the chances of them getting that uh, care is just a little bit less than it might be here. I'm really proud of Animals Australia for that, Brendan.
1: Yes, and... If you had to read the agenda, that was actually my story there, Mark. But that's okay. I'll um, I'll adapt and uh, read your story. <laughs> <laughs> and it did mention about um, helping in Jaipur um, because there's lots of wild and domestic pets that wander around Jaipur in India. And oh, I see uh, why spent... it
0: was your story because you've been yes. there. <laughs>
1: And we spent several days there, yes, there you go. Um, yes, great story, Mark, and I couldn't have um, explained it better. Um, there's no way I could have topped that, so fantastic job there. Um, yes, the last news story, it's, well, it's sort of a positive one. It's 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 a preventative, um, not quite preventative health, It's but it is related to the pandemic as well, and it's dozens of rhinos have been dehorned to prevent virus lockdown poaching surge. We may have actually reported on this a few months ago as well, Mark, Um, but South Africa has dehorned dozens of rhinos in three popular game parks amid the aims to prevent armed poachers taking advantage of the post-COVID-19 crash in tourism to kill them for their horns. So the exercise in in the national park and um, and two game reserves all northwest of Johannesburg are, um, are t- taking um, removing those horns. Um, there's still a little bit bit of debate, and we have chatted about this previously. About um, it, should we should they dehorn them? Um, does it prevent the poaching or not? Um, because the concern is that it. Um, potentially makes the male rhinos more vulnerable to fighting. Um but I suppose it's better having them fighting, Mark, than having them dead um, um with their horns cut off them, which was what the poachers will do. Um rhino horn sells at the moment for around about eighty six thousand dollars per kilogram, which is more than cocaine or gold, Mark. Um both of those you're well acquainted with so um you realise that's a lot of money. Um, so yeah, it's well. It's the pandemic is affecting us in many different ways, isn't it, Mo? How
0: do they? How do they get the horns off, Brendan? Do they? Do they? On, in. An
1: electric saw.
0: Yeah,
1: they tranquilise them. Um, they, so they go out with um, helicopters, choppers, and uh, they tranquilize them, and away they go. And um, they use a little electric saw um, and. Cut them off. Yeah, Um, there you go. And the numbers of rhinos in the parks and how many have been poached are kept secret to protect them, and I presume the same for the dehorning. And apparently since they authorised dehorning around about three years ago, there has been a drop in poaching. But since there's no tourism at the moment or very little tourism um, in the game parks, the poachers have... Have headed out there, presumably because all the the rangers and that are not not um, out and about showing showing tourists around um for taking photos. So, yeah, I don't know whether um, we've got a segue to um, finish up with Mark. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, but um, while we while I'm sitting back having a few um, drinks on our public holiday here,
0: I'm still I'm still disoriented, Brendan. I'm, I'm upset that I. <laughs> Stole your thunder with the um, Animals Australia story. Um, but um, I, I, uh, um, I, I love these um, uh, um, podcasts we do where we catch up on some of the news stories and um, and particularly uh, um, a few of the positive ones that do see things going a little bit better around the world. I know that um, uh, we do tend to dwell on the, the uh, tsunami of, of Worry about the natural world, both and a thing that we both have a passion about. But um, it's good to get these ones where, um, where things might not be quite as bad as we thought they may be.
1: Most definitely. And I'm heading out to take a few photos and discover a few spider species tomorrow, Mark, for the weekend. At Peru for